0: The reading this morning is from Colossians 1 verse 15 to 23 and you can find it on page 1676 in the Church Bibles. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. and of which I, Paul, have become a servant.
1: Put your hands up if you've been to the Royal Adelaide Show. I don't know why it's called Royal, there's nothing royal about it. If you've not been, you can reproduce the experience. If you just get $100, set fire to it, eat loads of fat and sugar, spin around, get a headache, and blare music out and carry heavy bags for about five hours, you'll get the impression of what it's like. Still, Miv and I go, to, go every year, um, and one of the highlights for us is going to see the dog shows. You know, they have the in that uh, sort of room, you get them showing the dogs around the sort of arena. And then in the, do, in the shed next door, that's where they all kind of sit and wait, the dogs are in their cages. And it seems to me in front of them in a the slightly bigger cage are the owners as well. And sometimes they start to look like their dogs, don't they? I've got a f- few pictures. Let's have a look, Robert. You know, sort of like that, uh, there's another one here, it's good for me, yeah, there we go. And uh, finally, <laughs> look-a-likey dogs. Uh, it strikes me that in these dog competitions, what they're about is definitely not introducing anything new. Now, these dog competitions are won by having as little variation as possible from the standards for those breeds. So the owners know what the ideal is for that breed and then invest their lives getting their dogs closer and closer to that ideal. So today's short passage that Carla read for us might not be anything new to lots of us, but it spells out in in a small number of words some huge truths about Jesus. Truths for us to know as we keep growing as Christians. Deeper and deeper. So nothing new, but deeper and deeper. So if you keep keeping your Bible open there. So our passage today begins with a heading, but forget that gap is there and forget that heading is there. We're actually still in the same sort of breath as verse 13. So you might remember from last week, Paul was praying that the Christians at Colossae would keep knowing and understanding God's will, God's big plan for salvation for everyone. Uh, And he was praying that they would live out a life worthy of this this good news, honoring God with good works because he's already saved us, not to get saved. And he's praying that they would know his power to endure and be patient and be thankful and then verse 13, he starts going over um, all the reasons we have to be thankful and, and to keep enduring and to keep growing. That Jesus has rescued us from darkness into his kingdom and that he's redeemed us and brought us forgiveness. So that's where we kind of begin, where, that's the flow that we're in as we get to verse 15, flowing on from that. It's all the things about Jesus that give us thankful endurance. I'll use that as the umbrella term for all those things that we've just been talking about. Thankful endurance. And what Paul wants for the Colossians, what God wants for us, the aim of this is verse 23, to continue in our faith, established and firm, not moving from the hope held out in the gospel. To be established in hope. Established in hope. And in your right line there, I've got three things about Jesus to keep us to help us keep established in hope. So Jesus is creator, Jesus is reconciler, and Jesus is Lord. Creator, reconciler, and lord. So first up then, creator. We can be sure. Of our, of our redemption and our forgiveness because of who Jesus is. I can pretty much guarantee that for all of us here this morning, our vision of Jesus is too small. Too small a vision of Jesus. So let's go big. That's the, that's the, uh, the aim for this morning, to get to, for all of us to leave with a bigger vision of Jesus. So verse 15. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So Jesus is the image of God. Now, he perfectly represents God. And we're used to images, aren't we? We're used to um, different levels of reality being represented by images. So, for example, someone might make a movie about Daniel and his life. They'd have to get Chris Hemsworth or someone like that to play him, some Hollywood A-lister. Uh, and that would, be, that would create an image of Daniel and we'd be able to sort of say, yeah, we know a bit about Daniel, but we know it's not really him. And then a level of reality above that then is we could take a photograph or a video of Daniel and that would represent him pretty well, more accurately than a movie about him. That's another level of reality. But Jesus is so perfectly the image of God at a unique next level kind of way. He's so perfectly at God's image that he is God. So that Jesus can say in John 14, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So there's no special secret knowledge to be had about God that's under wraps. There's no extra revelation that you need about God. No mystical insight. If you know Jesus, you know God. If you know Jesus, you know God. Uh, So Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. So firstborn here doesn't mean that Jesus was the first to be created. Some cults believe that. Now, God the Son, we say this in in our creeds, don't we? We say Jesus is co-eternal with the Father. In other words, there's never been a time when God the Son didn't exist. He wasn't created by God. He is God. Now, firstborn means the Colossians and all, all that region of the ancient world understood firstborn to mean most important. Now, if you've got older siblings, just um, put away any resentment for a moment. But firstborn here means number one, means preeminent, to put it poshly, head honcho, chief executive, roll out the red carpet, the ultimate authority. Uh, The same ideas in verse 17, he is before all things. So Jesus is not the first thing created, he's over all things created. Number one in all existence. Jesus is number one in all existence. And why? Verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So nothing exists without Jesus' say-so. Nobody is in power Without Jesus, say so. Jesus isn't an interesting side story in the history of the world. The world is an interesting story in the history of Jesus. Everything on earth has its origin, its existence, and its purpose in Jesus and verse 17 in him all things hold together now our world's got lots of explanations for how everything keeps ticking along you know, karma or energies um, in our culture the laws of physics are what, are what we know best but physics and that whole um, field of science serves us really well but it serves as well in describing in ever-increasing detail and complexity what the world being held together looks like this letter to the colossians this god's letter to us his church tells us that everything exists that exists only exists because jesus is holding it together so without him we wouldn't be here this morning we wouldn't continue to live and we'd have no purpose so, do you believe that? Do you think the world is still turning today because of Jesus? But knowing that can help us to endure to the end. Being thankful that each day, each step, each breath is another gift from Jesus holding us together. Uh, knowing Jesus is creator um, helps us in a few ways. It, Knowing Jesus Creator, gives us confidence that he's got the power to save us. So when Ben, who was um, playing guitar before, when Ben and Sarah were first married, they went on a four-wheel drive adventure in the outback in a Mitsubishi. I think there's a picture of it. A 2003 Pajero, is that right? And they could go and do it. They could drive out beyond the black stump, is that the phrase? They could go out, whoop, whoop, yeah, miles from anywhere, with high level of confidence. Because at the time, Ben was working at Mitsubishi on that very model of car. So if you've had problems with your 2003 Pajero, I'm sure Ben would be a cl- happy to uh, clarify things with. But Ben had a kind of, I don't, and this illustration puts Ben as Jesus, so, you know. But <laughs> Ben had a kind of creator's knowledge of how to hold it together. Gave them extra confidence. We can have every confidence in Jesus as our creator to hold us together in faith until the end. (coughs) Uh, Just briefly, knowing Jesus as creator, it helps us to see the world we live in right. If if we know Jesus has created all this, it means we don't worship creation. The universe is majestic, yes, it's startling but only because it reflects its creator. So we don't worship creation, but we don't despise the the creation or the world or fear it either, because it's Jesus' creation. He made it on purpose for God's glory. And Jesus as creator helps us to see people right. See people right. It means that no one in the world holds less value because they are Them. Every person alive today, even people who make your blood boil, are alive today because Jesus is holding them together. Jesus as creator helps us see ourselves right as well. We're not self-created beings. We can't do or be anything we want to be we are who Jesus made us to be. Albeit tainted and marred by sin, we are who Jesus made us to be. I saw this, this ad recently from Audi. Electric has gone Audi, it says. It's quite a clever tagline, isn't it? It's as if the phenomenon of, of electricity has just been waiting around for Audi to invent a car, to use It kind of flips everything. And yet this is what lots of people do with creation and ourselves. We put ourselves and the creation that we're part of in front of God and say, look how important and amazingly put together we are. How incredible the universe is. And all of that shows, my sense of self shows, that you don't matter, God. We flip things around. The reality is, It's Christ's universe. It all belongs to Jesus, and we are accountable to him. But each of us has, in our own way, rejected Jesus as creator, as ruler who deserves our allegiance. And consequently, verse 13 there's darkness, and we need redemption and forgiveness. So we can endure with thankfulness knowing that Jesus is our creator and he's also our second point, our reconciler. Right now, what is Jesus doing with all his power and authority? Verse 18, He's head of his body, the church. We, us in here, his church, uh, how Jesus is ordained to work in the world until he returns. And that's the encouragement as we uh, try to grow something new here. It's not just a social club for Christians. It's the body of the one who is number one in the universe. Um, occasionally you'll meet Christians who, and usually because of the, genuinely being hurt by other Christians who just pull out of church altogether which raises for them the question does a Christian have to go to church or do you have to go to church to be a Christian well creator Jesus who's number one in the whole universe with all authority and power chooses to be church And I'd just ask you, do you know better than Jesus? If this is how he's chosen this bit of history before he returns, to be head of the church, do we know better? Jesus is our rescuer, and he rescues us into his church. And if you swim alongside a lifeboat for long enough, eventually you will drown. But together, as church with Jesus as our head, we can endure in faith. And when we believe and trust in Jesus, we become part of something much bigger than ourselves. We become part of God's plan to redeem and transform all of creation. A plan that's already begun with Jesus' resurrection. So verse 18. He's the beginning of, And the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now, you don't need me to tell you that the world is not supposed to be. This world is beautiful, yes, life is great, but the damage and the pain and the marring effects of sin are everywhere. But into this fallen world, into history, Jesus, God the Son, has blazed a trail. He's the first to die and be physically, permanently resurrected. But this isn't a once-off. Jesus' resurrection is a sneak preview, an early glimpse of God's plan. Verse 20, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Reconcile there means to exchange hostility for friendly right relationship. Hostility for friendly right relationship. God will redeem and transform all creation so that only the good, only the beautiful is left. A world even more glorious and at peace than the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world. Even better than that. And at the center of this plan is Jesus. So that in everything, he might have supremacy. So we get to benefit from Jesus' death and resurrection, saved and forgiven into the right relationship with God, yes. But let's not lose sight that all of this is actually primarily about Jesus being number one in everything. It's all about Jesus. Jesus. And this is what pleases God, verse 19. God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, dwell in Jesus. So again, making our vision of Jesus bigger. Jesus is fully human and fully God. So there's nothing about Jesus being human which makes him less God. And there's nothing about him being God that makes him less human. Human and God. And God the Son, becoming incarnate, being born as Jesus, that wasn't plan B. It wasn't um, to fix and deal with unforeseen circumstances. God was pleased to fix everything for us through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. And we saw on Good Friday that Jesus wasn't sort of coerced into this. Is the same will as God the Father. Uh, Jesus exercised his authority to make sure the cross happened. You sometimes wonder about how much did Jesus know of himself as creator? How much of that creating knowledge did he keep with him as a human? Well, we don't know. I'm just speculating, you know? But I wonder if he just lay there at night looking at the stars thinking. I remember making that galaxy, yeah. As the nails were put into his hands, did he know which supernova those heavy elements in that metal came from? Because Jesus was fully man and fully God, he was uniquely qualified to pay the price for our sin and overcome death itself. So we can endure to the end in our faith, knowing for sure that we have been reconciled to God, that peace has been made between us and God through his blood shed on the cross. It's not a theoretical thing that might happen. It has happened. It's a done deal. Lots of people hold out on committing to Jesus because they think... I'm too far gone. I'm just not good enough for any of this. Is that you? And lots of Christians miss out on experiencing the the peace and joy that we objectively have in Christ because we can't quite let go of the guilt of our sin. Your sin is not too big for Jesus to deal with. Just look at who it is We are putting our faith in the creator and sustainer of everything we see and everything we can't see. The number one in all existence. And Jesus used all his power and authority, his number oneness, to humble himself to death on a cross, to bring us peace, to offer us grace. He's made it so that when God comes to judge our sin, God sees it as paid for and dealt with in full. No account owing, no time to be served. If you hold on to Jesus, trusting him as your Lord. And that's our final heading, Lord. So between verse 20 and verse 21, We go from the cosmic scale, don't we? All things, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, to the personal, to you. Jesus being number one in all creation, king of everything, doesn't mean he doesn't know and care deeply for you. Just look at the contrast between what we were outside of Christ and now what we are in Christ we were alienated from God we couldn't be near him and we didn't want to be because we preferred our evil behavior if you're not a believer here today it may well be that you've got genuine intellectual objections I mean you just can't go along with this stuff But I would say that in all the years of objections against the existence of God, against Jesus, that I have heard, none of them are insurmountable. On a fair and cool headed assessment of the evidence, belief in Jesus is reasonable. And the Bible says that in the end, belief in Jesus is a moral choice. That is, if we don't believe, it's because we don't want to. So why should you want to? Why should you want to believe um, in Jesus? What's so good about being a Christian? Verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. We are reconciled to God. We're in peaceful, right relationship with him now. By his grace to us in Jesus' death on the cross. And that death paid for our sins, took the punishment we deserve. Everything that is wrong with us has already been dealt with on the cross. So when God sees us on that day that is coming when everyone is judged, God will see us as holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. A clean slate, a, peace, a life in peaceful, right relationship with God. That's the offer. That's the prize Jesus won for us by his grace. And all we have to do is throw our lot in with him, trust him with our life, to win true life forever. And so, verse 23, we're back where we started. Uh, the aim of knowing this bigger vision of Jesus. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. If you remain established in the gospel. So, we never graduate from the gospel it's not like the gospel message is christianity 101 and we need to move on to the advanced course we need to keep returning to the gospel to knowing jesus who he is and what he's done for us forever making him our foundation and our center because holding on to anything else to save us to be our number one is letting go of Jesus. So be, in, be on your guard. In our fallen, sinful state, our, our kind of default is to drift into loosening our grip on Jesus and grasping onto idols or, or even ourselves to save ourselves or serve us. Do not move on from the hope held out. Only Jesus is number one. Only he deserves your ultimate loyalty. It's worth asking that if, there's an if at the start of verse 23. Does that mean if you are a Christian, you can lose your salvation? From God's perspective, who he has chosen to save will endure to the end. So you are safe in Christ. But one of the ways God sovereignly makes sure you do arrive safe at the end is to warn you. So hands up who drove here today. Now, you probably didn't worry about whether or not you'd get here. You're probably pretty confident you would arrive when you set off. Yet on the way, hopefully, you heeded some warnings, you know, you um, if a traffic light was on red, you stopped. Uh, you obeyed the speed limits. Didn't you? Yeah. You drove on the correct side of the road. So you heeded the warning signs. Didn't mean you didn't think you were gonna get here. It's like a warning sign. When I was a kid, we used to go, carry around an opposite, there was a cliff top. And there's a sign on the edge of that cliff top saying, don't go behind this sign or you'll fall off the edge of the cliff. But it doesn't mean, it doesn't assume that I am gonna fall off the edge of the cliff. It's just helping to make sure that I don't. So there's warnings throughout, in, in Hebrews, there's 12 warnings about keeping going, keeping faith. So be warned. Do the daily hard work of knowing Jesus. Read your Bible, say your prayers. Put what you know into action. Just don't head off in another direction away from Jesus. Don't overcomplicate it. Keep coming back to Jesus and be assured that you are safe in Him. We need to hold on to this bigger, blow your mind vision of Jesus so that we can be sure it is done. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are safe in him. Just to finish then, um, I picked this up from uh, Peter Adam. He's the former principal of Ridley College in Melbourne, Bible College uh, principal. And he talks about PTP as a way to help us get this stuff into our lives. Praise, trust and prayer. So the idea is you take a passage like this and you praise God for it. You tell him that you trust him in it and you pray it for yourself and your church. So I'm going to do that for this passage just to finish. All right, so let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you that all creation is made through you and for you. We praise you for bringing us peace with God through your blood on the cross. We trust you in your loving, gracious rule over creation. We trust in your death on the cross and nothing else for peace with God. We trust you that you have reconciled us. Please help us to know your rule and sustaining presence in creation. Please help us to know you as number one over all creation, including our lives. Please help us to know our peace with God through your grace to us on the cross. And please keep us enduring and thankful to the end in Christ. Amen.